In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, how can you call something perfect unless you're also willing to call it finished? Not just perfect as in without flaw, but perfect as in so good, so whole, so finalized that it is actually unbreakable. Last week, we heard in James that every good and perfect gift is from above, and that's about Jesus. And if you see Jesus at the forefront of this, it changes how you see God's law. It stops being a burden and starts being a gift. So that when James calls God's law perfect, and all the world takes a collective deep breath, and Christians everywhere start preparing their loopholes and their excuses, we can recognize that every single one of us has that same itch we want to scratch. That when we hear, thou shalt not, we're already halfway through saying, yeah, but what if? Or even just a flat, no, because. See, God's law cuts everyone, and it cuts deep. You shall have no other gods before me. The world says, what is truth? Just follow your heart. Just be happy. But here's the thing. What if God actually wanted to be God to you? What if he insisted on being your source of goodness so firmly that he would have you look nowhere else? What if he wanted to take care of you as a father takes care of his children? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And ignore the profane words for just half a second as long as you don't care what your church teaches about your God and you don't bother yourself to learn what his word says about him. Because the, broke, the commandment is chiefly broken this way, in all the ways that we tie his name to things, without even bothering to ask whether or not it's true, and all the lies that we make him a god of, and how corrosive that can get. Not just the God hates, and then you insert the thing that you hate, or the slurs, or the political party, or the people by name. It's not even just the negative. We break the second commandment and all the cute little bumper stickers that are, frankly, a whole lot easier to read than an actual chapter of scripture, even if they don't come from the book, that say things like, God only helps those who help themselves. And God needs you to say yes, to invite him, to accept him, to give to him so that he can help you. We pollute his name by telling lies about who he is. And if we cared what God's word said, we'd know that God gives us this commandment because he actually wants you to know who he is. He is a God who shows mercy to sinners. He is a God of love and compassion and peace. What if he gives this commandment that you would know the answers to the tough questions that you have in this life instead of just having to make them up yourself and then wonder why it's not working? Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And before you get upset that the world doesn't cancel track meets on Sunday anymore, just ask, what if God actually wanted to be here for you in a real meaningful way? Honor your father and your mother, and before the commandments even all the way out, come the objections. Yeah, but honor has to be earned. So what about the abusive parents, the deadbeat parents, the parents who are just flat wrong about stuff sometimes? As it turns out, your mom and your dad are sinners too. But God gives this commandment as a promise. What if he could even work through sinners? 
And what if he wanted to give you somebody in your life to care for you and would work to get you where you are today, even in spite of everybody else who sinned and messed up along the way? What if it was God who is so powerful and good that he would, he'd even get his will done through sinful people? Like having Caiaphas preach that it is better that one man should die to save the people. God accomplishes his will through people. And the commandment is a promise of this. You shall not murder. But somehow we have minimized that to a political argument about abortion and gun rights. And Christians have decided that this thing can be solved just by voting the right way no matter what and winning the right arguments with the right one-liners. But here's the thing. What if God gives this commandment because when he gave you a body, it was actually something central to who you are and he wants to see it taken care of. He doesn't want to see you hurt. You shall not commit adultery. And when you throw in all of the lust that Christians have been so normalized to that we can't even take ourselves seriously when we talk about this tightrope between what God's word actually says and what we know full well that we do and fantasize about in our lives the sixth commandment gets uncomfortable but what if God simply thought that family was a good thing and he wanted you to have one that was healthy and happy you shall not steal and we think ourselves great even though there are neighbors we would rather watch starve than help but what if God actually gave you the stuff that he gave you because he wanted it to be yours? Because he loved you. And what if he did the same for your neighbor? You shall not bear false testimony against your neighbor. Don't gossip. And the church doesn't even try with that one anymore. And that is in no small part because we are so busy complaining about how awful society is. But what if God actually just cared about your reputation enough to give this commandment? What if he actually wanted you spoken well of? Because I can get a new wallet, but a new reputation is a hard thing to come by. I mean, I could throw in the commandments about coveting, but you know how awkward it is to do when I preach from an iPad that I wanted because a friend of mine told me it was way easier to do this way? But still, what if God actually recognized that materialism isn't as healthy as all the advertisements lead me to believe? What if he wanted to re-emphasize that keeping these sinful things bottled up in my heart won't actually hide them. It just lets them fester and rot like the rest of me from the inside out. We get so used to keeping the commandments at arm's length that it's hard to talk about them anymore without the fear of offending somebody. And when you talk about the law in the abstract, in the sins of society and how awful they are, it's not a law that actually convicts anyone in here. But when you talk about the real law, it unveils the thing that we have so, tr so, so tried to hide. When I look in the mirror, I see the rank hypocrisy. Not just of you, of me. I preach to you the things that I don't do. I preach to you the things that I can't do. God's law is perfect. But God's law is perfect not because we didn't mess up. It's not even just that he's right and you're wrong for wanting the opposite. How can you call it perfect unless you're also willing to call it finished? This is how James opens the chapter that would lead us to be doers of the word. It is a promise that the law has already been fulfilled, finished, perfected in Christ. 
He has come into this world to paint a picture of the law that I could never paint. He has come into the world to fulfill the law that I have failed to do. He has come into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But he has come to save you too. And after fulfilling the law, he bled and died for you upon that cross, and he was raised from the dead. So if you want to start with the law, and you want to see it done right, start with Jesus, not us. And then hear him call you forgiven, so that you can stop worrying so much about whether or not you're doing enough. Because the law was already fulfilled and perfected in Christ. And to hear Jesus at the center of it makes the law a law of liberty. No longer is this just a diagnosis of the problem, but a guide to hurt less the next time around, a guide to help the people that God gave us to love, and a description of the God who actually wants to see us cared for and how he wants to do it. Understand that God does not give you the law simply to burden your conscience and make you feel awful. God gives you the law because this is how things are supposed to go. And when they didn't go that way, he came into this world and he fixed it for us. And after fulfilling the law, he died for the sinners. He forgave your sins. You have no sins left because Jesus has died for you. Already now, the law is perfected in Christ. And so already now, you are holy. You are forgiven. So just relax. Of course we fail to perfectly uphold the law. We're not God. We're not supposed to be God. That's the first commandment, remember? Love him, not yourself. Love him, not your works. And then love your neighbor without fear of having to uphold the whole religion on your own back because Christ has already fulfilled it for us. The law of liberty is a freeing thing. It lets us be reckless in doing good. Because I can say, you know what? I'm going to be the best father I can, and I know full well I won't be the perfect one. But Christ, Christ has perfected the law, and that is unbreakable. So God forgive me where I fall short, but I want to love those kids. It lets us be comfortable inside of our sins, not because our sins are good, but because they are forgiven. It's not because it's good to be a hypocrite, but because the only people in this world who aren't hypocrites are the ones who don't believe in anything bigger than themselves. And that's not all that impressive. The law of liberty lets you dare to hope in something bigger than yourself, more perfect than yourself. Of course we fall short of that. If your God isn't bigger than you, your God is awful. Get a better one. The law, though, is called perfect because it is fulfilled. Christ has done this for you. And so because it is fulfilled, you can do more than just look back at it and try and sling blame or block it with excuses and loopholes. It lets us actually try to care for each other and even see how. We can hope now, even knowing that we will probably fail in what we set out to do, but God has already done what needs doing, and he will continue to work. God even works through sinners like me, like you. He gets things done in ways that we could never even conceive as possible, but still he does it. And it dares us to be optimists, even in the face of a world that is so pessimistic. It dares us to be joyful and hope even in the face of our own sins and the rest of the world's too it dares us to find peace in christ and not in our works because we know that we reach the goal of salvation not based on what we do but in hearing that it has already been done for us and having the fear removed by the gospel so that when we look around the rest of the world we know that the law cannot sting us anymore we dare to tend to the needy, not because we think that we can somehow fix every problem in the world, but because we know there's people that need help. And some of them have been given to you to help. We know that when we visit the widows, it's not because we can undo the death that made them widows in the first place, but because we can bring them comfort. In all of it, it's not our job to make things better. 
It's our job to find comfort in Christ until at last he brings to completion that resurrection of the last day that he has promised us. And it is our job to hear over and over again where our God works for you. Because God's law is perfect. It is unbreakable. And it is already finished. The good that he intends to get done will get done. No matter what. Even through you. And it's going to be really messy along the way. But that's what crosses are like. Crosses are messy. But God has never stood back from one yet. He won't now, either. So Christianity can be more than just hiding your hypocrisy and pretending you're better than you are. It isn't about excuses and throwing blame at the world and society. It's knowing that hope is a real thing because Christ was crucified and raised for you, and nothing can change that. So we aren't afraid anymore to be called sinners, but even more, we're not afraid to get a little bit dirty because the law has already been perfected in Christ. We don't need to pretend to have a clean identity based on our works. We have the real cleansing in our baptism. We don't have to worry about getting stained when we go out to serve a world in need. We are washed now in the waters of baptism. Every day we start new this way, holy, pure, forgiven. When you want to talk about the law, remember what's perfect. Remember what's finished. Remember your Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.